friends. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host and internet friend, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you for being here with me. Um, Before I even get into today's podcast guest, my little intro, um, I wanted to quickly read a podcast review because I've decided I used to do this and I kind of fell off. um, Just thanking people who are taking the time to leave a review because that's why the podcast is still happening is because you guys are willing to take the time and and subscribe and share and like and rate and review. It's very important. Um, and I wanted to read a review that I really liked so that um, I can say thank you to this person and maybe send you a gift. So what I'd like to do, because today's uh, sponsor is Bubs Naturals. They make awesome collagen and MCT products. You have the choice. Um, of winning either a signed copy of my book, It Takes Guts, or I can send you a little gift package from Bubs, whichever you like. But the review today is from Rick C57. So if you hear this, um, if you hear this and it's you, I want you to send me an email. Uh, my email is in the show notes. And just let me know that you were the um, lovely reviewer and I will send you a gift. So the review says, a favorite podcast always loaded with great information. I love how Ashley packs every episode with outstanding content that resonates with me. I always learn something new and appreciate how much effort Ashley invests in this podcast. I love the addition of amazing guests and how awesome she is at interviewing and finding those golden nuggets that make this podcast so special. Thanks. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Also, of course, I love doing this because it's an opportunity to kind of like brag without bragging, right? Because someone's saying something nice about me. I don't have to say it. Someone else said it. So thank you, Rixie57. I appreciate this review so much. It means a lot to me. Um, Folks, please continue to leave your reviews. I know it's annoying when people ask, but it's all we got. It's all we got. So please do that. Um, Moving on. Today's guest um, is an awesome human being. I've interviewed him actually a bunch of times for every podcast I've done, which is now three. I've actually hosted three podcasts, co-hosted four. I'm lying. I'm all over the internet, guys. But anyway, I have interviewed Dr. Mike T. Nelson three separate times because he is so full of useful information and you know, just a great person to chat with. Um, He's a body composition and performance expert. And he spent over 18 years now learning how the human body works, focusing on how to properly condition to burn fat, become more strong uh, and flexible and healthier. He has a PhD in exercise physiology, a BA in natural science, an MS in biomechanics. He's an adjunct professor and a member of the American College of Sports Medicine. So this guy knows what he's talking about. He also has a couple online... um, courses and programs, including the Flex Diet Certification that I am currently working my way through um, because one of my goals in 2021 was to just do more education. Like 2020, I was writing that book. I was very, very engrossed in that. I wasn't doing as much learning as I normally do. And I think it's important that we're always constantly learning from new people um, and just gathering more information to make our work, our lives, our own lifestyle better and healthier and more informed. So I finished the Precision Nutrition uh, Level 1 certification over the holidays. I'm now working on Mike's course, which is amazing. The first module is all about protein. So obviously, I'm into that. And I've got another one lined up um, with another guest who uh, focuses all on women's physiology for training. And I'm super pumped about that one. So anyway, all that to say, my brain hurts, but I'm grateful for it. So in today's episode, I'm talking to Mike about 
metabolic flexibility, which of course is something I talk about a lot. Um, but kind of more interestingly, we talk about physiologic flexibility. That's something that I don't think is talked about as much in the world of positive behavior change and coaching, but it's very important um, because it's one thing to say, here's how you make someone eat some eat better than they used to or change their workouts um, by giving them this information. But we don't often talk about the psychology of it and how willing, ready, and able a person may be mentally to make a change. Because it's easy to say, instead of eating that Twinkie, eat an apple. But if that was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? So there's obviously more <laughs> complexity and layers to this than we want to give it credit, right? So um, we talk a lot about that and how we can approach that to help people create better behaviors in their life, including ourselves. Um, I ask him about sort of this flexible diet thing that he talks about and intuitive eating and whether he thinks that's really realistic in today's world where, I mean, we're just swimming in junk food literally at sometimes. Um, so we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about psychology. Um, his programs and his approach is just, they're so pragmatic. They're so realistic. They're so based in reality, which I think is what we need more than ever these days. Um, things can look good on paper and they just don't work in the real world. And his approach is the opposite of that. It just, it works. It makes sense. Um, so I really appreciate Mike taking the time to chat today. I know this is a long intro, but I guess I got a lot to say today, guys. So I appreciate you being here and taking the time. And here's my interview with the awesome Dr. Mike T. Nelson. All right, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. I think this is your third time on. So I thank you for yeah. um, con continuing to come back and talk to me. <laughs> No, thank you so much for inviting me to come back. So I yeah. must not have screwed up the other ones too bad. So no, no, I, I love chatting with you. And I, um, you know, I think that uh, the last time we spoke, we went down a rabbit hole about like learning about human physiology and health through like hibernating bears, which was kind of yes. a cool um, tangent. So I'm going to link that in the show notes so people can listen to the other conversations yeah, we've fun. had. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, I mean, First, you don't have to kind of give your whole sort of bio because I think folks probably know who you are by and large right now. But if you could kind of just um, give us a little bit of background on what you do and uh, like what you're kind of up to these days, that'd be great. Yeah. So right now I'm an associate professor at the Carrick Institute. So I'm helping teach uh, their exercise uh, human performance course. And then we did some online courses for them, one on uh, neuro research, and then I'm just finishing up one on the effects of ketogenic diets for TBI, so traumatic brain injury. Okay. That'll be out hopefully in a couple of weeks and doing some teaching for them, which is great. I teach for Rocky Mountain University, and then I have my own stuff with one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, M3 clients that I work with doing all their nutrition and mobility and training and HRV and all that kind of stuff, which has been super fun. And then I have two certifications, the flex diet certification, and then also the physiologic flexibility certification. So the flex diet is more on nutrition and sleep, different interventions for, I guess you could say recovery, body composition, performance. And then the physiologic flexibility cert is, I kind of want to say all the, it's viewed as more fringy type stuff of, biohacking of you know breath work and cold and hot and 
how do you put all those things into an actual physiologic framework? So like, how do you know when to use each one, which is a question mm. that's been kind of bugging me for like five years. So cold water has a lot of very cool things, but if you're absolutely trying to maximize the last ounce of lean body hypertrophy, muscle mass, eh, you know, crawling into a chamber for, you know, 10 minutes in cold water, probably not a good idea, you know? Mm. So what are kind of the limits of what we know? How do those fit within an actual uh, physiologic I guess you'd say taxonomy in terms of you as an organism, what should you be doing? Okay. I am really interested in that actually, because although all of this biohacky fringe stuff is biohacky and fringe, it's also the stuff that people are like interested in and people want to yeah. focus on rather than, totally. the, you know, key things <laughs> because it's sexier and it's interesting and it's fun and it's cool. But I really like that you are, you're approaching this fringe stuff from a really practical standpoint like if you're going to do it, here's how to do this in a way that makes sense and, and fits in with the rest of your life. Um, because it can get very overwhelming. The people who like to listen to podcasts like this and like to research stuff like this, you know, it's great to learn about coffee enemas or jumping in the ice or whatever <laughs> it is. But when you don't really know what it means, how it really works, when you should be using it, when you shouldn't be using it. So I'm going to make a note that I want to um, chat actually about that. Yeah, for sure. That's really fascinating. Um, how has your work, if at all, kind of changed in the past year with, you know, what we're all going through? Has Yeah. Has, yeah. yeah, it's been been pretty crazy compared to usual which means it's been a one degree calmer than before because i sat down and i uh, was at my buddy uh, dr ben house's place in costa rica when all the covid stuff went really crazy and you know we, we got out of there luckily long story but we made it back got back home and i'm like oh wow this is wild we're stuck in our home for many weeks like my whole schedule i'm sure up like yours up presentations, seminars, conferences, everything I was doing, just, you know, just within a week, just all disappeared entirely. So income, mm -hmm. everything else that went with that. Um, and so the good part is I've been teaching online for probably five, six years. And a lot of people looked around and went, Oh, Hey, who can do an online course for us? Like, hey, you get over here. We want you to do a course. So the good part was I had a lot of opportunities to do stuff. The downside was I knew that there's going to be two, three, four, five month delay by getting the course and getting it done, getting it out there by the time it gets marketed, because I usually get paid as a percentage of the course, which is fine. Um, so some of the courses went well, some of them meh, not so good. As you know, like it was just super volatile from April, even through now. Like some people did really well, other people were not doing well, no one could figure out why. Mm -hmm. I think it was just a consumer thing, especially in fitness. We have a lot of people that, hey, I was training people in the gym. Oops, my gym closed. I'm not training anyone right now. Ooh, I have a lot of time to do continuing ad, but I'm rightfully very scared that I may not have any income at all <laughs> coming yep. forward. I don't know when the gym's going to open again. So there's a lot of volatility, which I don't know. It kind of there wasn't only so much you can do about that. Yeah. Um, but so the nice part is I have a my garage gym and I had the, the freezer for cold water immersion. I set up my bike in there. I got my rower. I've got the rack. So I'm like, Oh, this is a good time. I'll just do an aerobic base training in the morning, lift in the afternoon. You know, I ended up working more probably the last couple of months, several months I have than probably the last maybe four years. 
Wow. Um, but previous to that, I looked back and I was like, huh, for three years in a row, up until that March point, the longest I was ever home for in a row, I think was three weeks once. <laughs> um, so definitely different than that. Uh, but it's been good. Been able to get a lot of projects done. Clients have been pretty good. I mean, it's a, as you know, too, like online stuff is people look at it and they go, oh, that's just so easy. Why doesn't everyone train people online? I'm like, it's not really that easy when you're doing all their nutrition, their, you know, training and everything. And then you've got gyms that opens, gyms that close. Yeah. You're doing body weight training with them. Okay. What do you got for equipment? Okay. Now you can go back to the gym. Oh, great. Like I have some clients in the UK. Oh wait, now we're at like such a higher tier that everything has closed. So just the constant reworking of stuff, which is fine. I mean, I don't, I'm not complaining about doing it. It's just mm -hmm. on top of all the other stuff that, you know, that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I can echo a lot of this because I was probably busier than I've ever been in my life yeah. professionally the last <laughs> year. And I do think there is like an element of like, look, this is the situation we're in. So are you going to just double down and adapt and figure some things out and try to maximize it? Or are you just going to, you know, I don't know, give up, which I've done a little bit here and there too. Spent a couple <laughs> weeks giving up, but you know, I always yeah. come back to it. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things, there are certain industries and certain, um, things that are never going to go out of style. Like people are yep. always going to care about, even if it is a niche group are always going to care about health and fitness. Um, that's always going to be something that matters to a, a subset of people. Um, and so I have found it actually like pretty busy. I mean, like you said, like motivation waxes and wanes and people's sort of ability to um, invest in something, you know, goes up and down throughout the year. But I think that people, a lot of people are really using this opportunity to kind of pare down, learn some things, get ready for what's going to come. Because again, it may change. It may look completely different. The landscape might look different, but I think people are always going to want experts in nutrition and exercise and fitness and body composition and all of those things. Um, do you anticipate, like, are you thinking about in the next year, two, three years, how that landscape's going to look different and, and how you're going to adjust as a result of it? Or are you kind of just still rolling with the punches as they come for like, you know, month to month? Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, my prediction is for what I do, it's probably going to be better yeah. um, because I think Trainers now have just like, it's the industry has just been fast forwarded, I think probably five to 10 years where I don't think anybody now can make an argument that, oh, I'm a trainer. I work in the gym, which is awesome. We need those people. It's great. However, I think every one of them, even if you're only an in gym trainer should have some online component and doing nutrition work with your clients is the easiest thing to make online. So the argument I've had is that even if you see Betty, you know, three days a week in the gym, you should have some online system that you're using to work with her on nutrition, because most of that's going to happen outside of the gym anyway. And is that going to be a little bit more time and effort on your part? Yeah, obviously charge for that as a service. Um, but I just think that then it makes it an easier transition. Uh, if your gym's open, if your gym's closed, you have restrictions, whatever, Clients are going to get a much better result because especially most of them are there for body count changes, which I know nutrition is a huge component uh, with that. So I think for what I do, you know, selling, you know, flex diet certification, online nutrition system, <laughs> um, probably helpful 
for for that. Um, so it, yeah, and I I do think that we saw initial flood of a bunch of people going, "Ooh, I'm going to make a bodyweight program online." We had just mm-hmm. in my biased opinion, May through August, everyone and their brother just tried to do online, and they either found out that "Ooh, this is a lot harder," and it was just a sometimes kind of a race to the bottom of who can put out just not the highest quality stuff for very little price. And yeah, yeah. hopefully that's going away. <laughs> yeah. And, or at least that just sort of people see through it. Right. Because yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of always my hope is just that like the cream rises to the top and there, cause there are always going to be people who are just going to put out a PDF for nine 99. That's total garbage, but hopefully yeah. people, you know, the more education that's out there and the more discerning people can be, they can, they can pick out the things that are actually going to help them. Yeah. Um, do you, are you having clients who, like, if you had maybe um, bodybuilding competitors or like big dude clients who are really trying to build or even women build or try to um, grow muscle mass, do you, did you have like an influx of clients who were like freaking out? Cause they're like, I can't go to the gym. My muscles are going to disappear tomorrow. What do I do? And what do you do? Cause I mean, for my experience, yeah. like I, I recognize again, that I'm not like a muscle bound, like heavyweight, but I am always focusing on at least muscle maintenance and usually muscle growth when I can, like, I want to have a good amount of muscle. And I learned in the first part of quarantine that your muscle doesn't disappear overnight. If you are eating properly and taking care of yourself and doing the things you can do and exercising, you know, efficiently and, and intelligently, but it's been a year now and I am starting to notice some changes. I am starting to notice the effects of not being able to go to the gym and lift super heavy and maybe lift with the intensity and frequency that I normally do. And again, it's not massive, but I could imagine that if I was back in my competing days, I'd be a little bit worked up. So do you, are you having that issue with some, some folks? Yeah, it's, hasn't been too bad i only worked with like a handful of physique competitors and the people i had at that point (laughs) one person who remained nameless um she would sneak into gyms that she knew the owners and train at odd hours and stuff like that so she kind of found a way around and she worked in a gym too so i had a couple people that got kind of creative with that i had other people where it was like okay maybe the gym will open in a while let's just do some body weight stuff let's get your joints feeling better let's get rid of all the standard aches and pains and you know yeah we'll cut down on nutrition a little bit you're not going to get fat you don't have to worry about that you're not going to lose all your muscle mass and just making sure that once it opened again they were at a position where they felt refreshed and you know could make progress again you know some of the other competitors i have you know i just said timelines who knows like just maybe now is a good time to focus on sort of an off season, you know, type thing. If you wanted to add, a, you know, some more lean body mass, and that's probably a perfect time, you know, to do it. Maybe that wasn't your goal. Um, so it's been a little tricky, but I, I agree that if you can get some loading is better than none. Um, if this gets protracted out over several months, then I think, yeah, you're probably going to see a little bit of a difference that will, I think, come back quite fast. The thing that I just really try to get people not to do is to just like throw in the towel and be like, ah, oh, screw it. I'm just going to eat Cheetos and not do anything because that's, that's definitely not going to work. And I've seen just a huge difference between, yes, even doing some blood flow restriction, light training, that's not ideal or perfect or optimal, 
but that's probably enough to keep you pretty good. Like not the best, but pretty good. But if you do nothing at all, oh man, that <laughs> that's like yeah. another world altogether. It is almost like a like a neurological thing too, because I I had this again had this similar experience where I have a pretty decent setup at my um, home gym, but you know I don't have a barbell. I'm I don't have a ton of heavy dumbbells or weights. I have some, and once I kind of like got rid of the ego of like, I'm not lifting the heavy weights that I want to be lifting. I'm lifting whatever's here. And was just like, just do the best you can with what you have. Hello. Yeah. That's what life is. Um, you know, I did feel like I was able to kind of, like you said, like focus more on maybe perfecting my form and really feeling the muscle tension and contraction and really, um, you know, recovering properly and things like that. And I think just keeping those movements and keeping your muscle memory alive during those in-between times, I think, like you said, is probably going to help a lot when you get back in. And then of course, all these type A people want to get back in and go to their max weights again within yes. a day because uh, uh. they're so excited to get back. That's been another thing. Cause my gyms are very on and off. I'm up here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I go back, it's also, it's like a conscious effort that I like get a squat rack and I'm like, I gotta, I, I really just gotta do the bar for a couple sets. Like that's what I gotta do because I have not been doing this and I don't want to cripple myself. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it took a little bit of like ego dissolution, but once I did it, I'm like, this is preserving me. Like this is making it so that when I do get to come back full on, I'm going to be healthy. And like you said, I'm going to be, you know, ready and maybe my joints will feel better and I'll be recovered. Um, and it will come back quicker than if, yeah, you give up. It's just human beings. We don't do well with that, like moderation in the middle stuff. We do well no. with going balls out or sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. So that's kind of, yeah. you know, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. And now that we're again, like almost a year into it, I, I understand. Cause the first few months I was like, awesome. I'm home. I'm sleeping more. This is great. And then like, as the months roll on and we're looking at years, I'm like, I get why people give up. It's not the right answer, but I get why it happens. Cause it's just, it's relentless. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even a faster way to lose muscle above just uh, you know, limb immobilization. So when we look at studies like limb mobilization, you'll see just big drops in muscle really fast because you're not moving it. So I found this out years ago after completely dislocating my right shoulder playing broomball. And at the at a walk around like this, not moving my arm for eight weeks. And like three weeks into it, you could play games with my triceps. It was like one of those old lady triceps that would just mm. like flap in the wind and stuff. Um, but if you cut the nerve to a muscle, it'll literally disappear like extremely fast. So there's other things you can do to try to reduce that. So I think like you're talking about like the neural thing, even just getting some movement to it, even if the load is light, I think that will probably be, I wouldn't say a hundred percent protective, but probably more protective than what people realize yeah and then the other part i've noticed too especially from traveling and coming back we went down to south padre texas for a while and the gym down there is <laughs> it's on the second floor so like you have to be super quiet and like slowly set down your weights yeah. and like doing a deadlift is super hard they took the squat rack there's only one and they put like these uh pads underneath it so to do like an actual squat, you have to stand on this like foam pad that oh, moves around, <laughs> which I think they did this just to make sure no one does anything heavy. Uh. So I came back from there and we just had like kettlebells and I've done this enough now to know that like weights I could do before I left and I come back six weeks later and I was still training 
just feel just ungodly heavy. And I think most of that is just the neurologic adaptation where you have less inhibition per se, meaning that your body's like, hey, I haven't been under this load for like six weeks. It feels really heavy. So doing just even partial reps or mm -hmm. isometrics or something where I'll take, I have a, what's called wagon wheels, right? So I can do a deadlift from a 14 inch pick instead of uh, a lower point, mm -hmm. just stuff like that, just to get my body used to that heavier load, super low volume, you know, but trying to inch slowly up on that intensity. Because a lot of clients, like you said, too, I spend most of my time trying to talk them out of this massive load spike. Right. It's like, okay, you did some body weight stuff. You did some blood flow restriction for four weeks. Now your gym opened and yes, you're only doing two to three sets. What? That's crazy. I can do more than that. It's like, we know that like the, one of the biggest things for injury risk is you look at uh, Dr. Tim Gabbard's stuff going from low volume to high volume in a very short period of time, especially when you're not trained for it. Um, so a lot of times I spend just trying to talk people out of that. It's like, come on, just, just give us a couple of weeks. You don't need that huge amount of volume. You don't need that massive amount of stimulus. Just yeah. give your body time to, to get into it. And then you'll be okay. Trust me. It'll, it'll come back, you know? Yeah. So just trying to pull them off the edge a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a big part of most coaches jobs is keeping, keeping people on the ledge, not jumping off of it. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say like one thing that I, uh, that kind of, I feel like I matured during this time, as far as how I approach exercises, I've always been somebody who worked out a lot because I like it because I, it feels like my therapy. It feels like my mm -hmm. kind of time for myself. And, um, I knew like theoretically that I didn't have to go to the gym six days a week to be fit or to even maintain what I had. I did it really cause I wanted to, but when I was forced to not go to the gym six days a week, it really hit home that the gym is such a small, it's an important, it's a great part, but it's such a really relatively small part of your overall health, even regarding body composition and strength really. So, um, just knowing it took me too long probably, but just knowing that like, and there is a difference between high level professional athletes and the sort of recreational athlete that I am, but knowing that I don't have to go to the gym for an hour a day, every single day to look the way I do is a good lesson to learn, even if it had to be forced upon me, because I think that one of the differences between sort of an amateur mindset to being fit and a, and a real next level professional one is the concept of like minimum effective dose. Like we should be wanting to work as little as possible for the result we want, right? Not work as little as possible, period, but how effective and efficient can we be in a shortened period of time so that we don't have to spend our entire life at the gym, thinking about the gym, you know, what have you. So it was kind of a hard lesson for me to learn, but I'm glad, I'm glad I learned it because when I, when the gym does open back up again, I'm going three days a week. And then the rest of the time I'm doing stuff outside or I'm doing maybe some kind of different workout at home. That's less uh, punishing or whatever. <laughs> I think it's going to be better, better for me in the long run, especially, you know, with injury and, and overall health. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like clients to be able to moderate both ends of the spectrum. Like if you've got the time and you've got a goal you want to hit, then great. Mm -hmm. Let's see how much volume you can do. And we'll push that into the spectrum. Consequently, do you have other strategies, especially if you get injured where your life doesn't go to shit because you can't go to the gym? Mm -hmm. You know, can you do a Zen style meditation and sit and stare at a tree and 
exercise your demons that way without movement, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're only good with high levels of movement, that's great. I'm not going to tell you that those sessions are not important because they are, but can you learn to maybe go for a run, go for a walk? Can you learn to kind of moderate that a little bit? And then, like you said, if your gym or the, whatever you're doing is just not available, can you still stay right about where you want to be in terms of body comp and strength yeah. and that type of thing without that huge amount of stimulus? Yeah. So we went down to South Padre, Texas in October, November. We drove down, we hung out there for four weeks, drove back. And then yeah, the gym was okay there. It's a nice place. It works. But I only went like two to three days a week. Mm -hmm. I would get up in the morning and do a little run on the beach. And then I'd just go kiteboard. And, you know, I would eat Pop-Tarts and drink beer after I was done kiteboarding. You know, people are like, what? That's so crazy. How do you do that? That's insane. I'm like, my output is so high. It just doesn't matter. You know, like one day I rode almost like over 50 miles, just riding back and forth in this little bay for like three hours and 40 minutes. You know, if I have that kind of output, it, it just doesn't matter. So I didn't get on a scale. I didn't log a single damn thing. Of course, you're eating more meals that have protein and you're eating generally nutritious food. And I came back and I was literally at the exact same weight that I left, you know, but I have the advantage of knowing what to do. And I've done this before and I've ran this experiment multiple times. So I know what I can get away with and what I can't. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's worthwhile for people to think about if you've got other situations that change, what are things you can do to, you know, maybe not make to your goals per se, but just kind of even just, just stay even and do some other things, relax, take a breath, have fun. What's your favorite Pop-Tart flavor? Uh, I actually still like the strawberry ones with the, the weird ceramic type frosting. Yeah. It's a little scary that it doesn't <laughs> melt in the toaster and they probably use it to coat like tiles in a space shuttle or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I actually have a little Pop-Tart shirt on that a, a client bought for me. So this is so on brand. I, that one's my favorite too, <laughs> strawberry. And I really like the cho the classic chocolate that also has the ceramic frosting yes. on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pop-Tarts, man. It's just sometimes you just got to do things for morale if for nothing else, you know? That's yeah. It. And it's, you know, I started doing it years ago, kiteboarding, because I realized, oh, you can get 80 grams of carbohydrates in something I could leave sit on the dashboard of the vehicle that don't melt. Like they're yeah. indestructible. <laughs> 100%. Is that, uh, a, is that a kiteboard behind you? Yeah, it's uh, a surfboard. Okay, that's just a so regular my, surfboard? Yeah, so I, I have this weird thing where I'm like... I've always wanted to learn how to surf. I've only gone like real surfing twice and it was just ungodly hard. So I'm like, so wait a minute. So I use a kite. So what if I can use a kite and then ride in waves? So I've done that on a smaller board. So now I'm in the process of trying to do it on the, the board behind me, which was super fun, but it's hard because you have to move your feet around all the time. Yeah. Right. So my goal was to make just one fugly transition and to do a transition on a, on a directional board, right? Cause I'm only yeah. have the nose going one way. You eventually have to switch your feet from your right foot in front to your left foot in front and back and forth. Mm. And on a board like that, when you lose power in the kite, it just becomes a little bit trickier. Um, so I would, fly off the board i'd get hit with the board i punched out of my own safety when i was in oregon trying to do it and all sorts of stuff but the cool part is if i figure it out or when i figure it out i can then use the kite to get into the waves and get off of the waves so i can okay. use a kite to make up for all my horrible foot mistakes with the board because i have an external power source 
Mm. And it allows me to not be as good with uh, timing. So in essence, in my little brain, I can just get a lot more reps. And so yeah. eventually take less and less power off of the kite and then eventually transition to, you know, going without the kite. Did you, when you were um, practicing any real actual surfing, did you do it in Costa Rica? Cause I remember we chatted about yes, this. Yes, we did. Cause that's, I yeah. mean, it depends on where you are, but where we were, when I was learning it, it had to have been the most perfect place because oh, yeah. it was just flat and smooth. Like the beach was, and it was away from the tourists area. So it wasn't a million like newbies just biffing all over each other. There was nobody there. And the, the waves were just big enough that like you could try something without being terrified. Like yeah. I had the best <laughs> possible experience and it was just so soft. Like you fall and you're, you know, you're not worried about getting, you know, scraped to death by the coral or whatever. It was just, it was so beautiful. It's such a fun, cool, meditative experience. And I, you know, I'm like a water person anyway. So I'm always interested in the stuff that you're doing, but I, I really talk about this a lot and we'll, we'll talk about, um, sort of some of this other stuff that you can do outside of the gym to, um, work on body composition and stuff. But I talk a lot about sort of the concept of just like movement versus cardio. And and I feel like so often with fitness and the way we communicate online, so much of it is semantics. It's just how you describe something or what you call something. And that can result in people either being completely turned off or misunderstanding you. There's a, there's a lot about language and how you communicate a message. And to me, I feel like making that switch between any movement is cardio, is you like getting your steps in or, or burning your calories and you have to do it so that you can eat a certain way or so that you can look a certain way. And if you make that transition to what are the things I can do that just move my body that I enjoy, guess what? Like that's all cardio, but it's not yeah. miserable and sad. And you know, there's so many things you can do. And like surfing is a great one and skiing is another one, of course. Yes growing up in a cold place and I was a downhill skier since I was three. I mean, that's burning crazy calories and you're busy having fun and shooting yourself down a mountain. You're not thinking about, you know, how many calories you're burning. It's beautiful. So I think that finding more things like this that people really enjoy instead of this thing you have to do every day to get your movement in, you know, I think that's such a a huge mental shift that's so important for people. Because again, if this is stuff we're going to be dedicated to doing for the rest of our lives, like let's try to make it fun and fulfilling and maybe learn a skill at the same time, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's why in the the flex diet cert, I have a huge section on exercise versus recreation, mm. right? So exercise, you have, you know, sort of a plan, you've got a goal, you have an intention, you kind of log stuff, you track things. And yeah, you may do stuff that you don't really like, because you've rated that this goal you want to achieve is the main thing. Or recreation is like, dude, just like, go have fun. Right? Like some clients I have like, well, how many, I was playing tennis, like, how many calories did I burn and this and that? I'm like, just just go have fun. Like just, cause I get really worried about people who are so hyper into fitness that they have no hobbies outside of fitness. Mm. It's like, don't, like go learn to ride a skateboard, like go downhill mm-hmm. skiing, learn to snowboard, go kiteboarding, like pick up surfing, like go play tennis, basketball. I don't care what it is. Ideally the more complex learning that you would have to take place, I think it's going to be better. Um, you've probably heard this story about the sea slug right? So the sea slug spent all of his time wandering through the ocean and then it finds a rock and it gets stuck to the rock and then it eats its own brain. <laughs> I did it not never hear has that to story. Move again. Yeah. I can relate it to it, but no, I doesn't have, have to move. Story. And so I just, I just think of like how many people are just becoming sea slugs, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like in walking, all that other movement, great. I love doing it. I think there's tons of benefit to it. But I think going outside your current comfort zone and learning a complex motor task which could just be playing catch or playing frisbee. It doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. anything crazy. Mm -hmm. I just think we're finding more and more benefits of that. And obviously I'm biased because I kiteboard, but I just think about how many, God, how many hours I've spent trying to learn. And even now just trying to learn how to do new things and how many things your brain just has to coordinate at that moment from moving your feet on the board or surfing and the timing and the weight distribution. And you're in an environment that's constantly changing all the time and your kiteboarding so now you've got the wind to worry about and the conditions and other people and the waves and just the amount of processing your brain has to do just to figure that out mm-hmm. to me is just fascinating and that it's kind of scary that some people don't want to ever mm-hmm. go down that route mm-hmm. and like you said at the end of the day it's just fun <laughs> hey everybody interrupting my own damn podcast here to tell you about today's show sponsor because they're important and before you skip through this i got to tell you this is one of the biggest discounts that basically any company ever offers for things like this it's 20% off so maybe you want to listen to this one i'll keep it brief you guys know already bubs naturals is my only source for collagen and mct powder which i am using consistently every day in my coffee in my baking, in my protein oatmeal, in my bone broth, whatever I'm eating basically is going to have one or both of these products in it. Um, You know, what else do you need? Collagen, coffee, chocolate, organ meats. That's it. Uh, Bubs makes the best collagen. It mixes better than any other product I've tried. Their MCT goes into my iced coffee every morning and mixes really well. It makes it creamy, full of healthy fats for if I'm not going to have a big breakfast, I just kind of want to get going but obviously still need my coffee. Uh, And also this company gives a full 10% of their earnings to a charity that supports military veterans, which is an important cause um, and one that I support and will continue to support. So they're a company focused on giving back first before making money, which I think is actually pretty rare. Uh, in this day and age, and they just happen to make great products. So it's a win, win, win all around. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use the code MM20, which stands for Muscle Maven 20% off. So MM20 at bubsnaturals.com. Go get some collagen for your gut health and your beauty. Get some MCT to support those low carb goals and do something to help the world all at the same time. All right, that's it. Back to the show. Yeah. 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 It's one of those like inertia things though, right? Where if people have yeah. been still, if they've been the slug on the rock for so long, even even if it doesn't feel great or if it's, you know, kind of miserable, it's still like a misery you're familiar with and you're comfortable with. Yes. But I mean, I know I'm going to always remember the day in Costa Rica that I was learning to surf. I'm not going to remember the hours that I spent in a basement gym on a treadmill trying no. to get fit for my bodybuilding competition. So I mean, there is, there is something to be said for that. I completely agree. And I feel so strongly about how good it is for your brain and your mood and just your outlook on life to just always be learning things. And I think also the idea of, you know, a lot of people who are hard charging worker outers are also perfectionists and type A people who in some cases, not all, don't feel comfortable being a beginner and being crappy at things. Um, And I understand I like to be good at things too, but I I also am always, I'm kind of always doing something I'm good at and then doing something that I'm just learning. So it like balances the scale. So you don't want to feel like I'm a complete idiot all the time who can't do anything. But if you're like super comfortable and good at everything you do, that's boring too. So I think having that balance and, and 
just taking the step to do the thing and learn the thing shows you that it's not the end of the world to suck at something and not really know what you're doing. And it's a lot more fulfilling to go from nothing to being competent at something than to just be good at whatever you're doing all the time. It's just kind of boring, I think. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I'm yeah. a big fan of that, like kiteboarding, surfing, like stuff that intrinsically is just hard. Like, you know, those sports, even though someone is extremely athletic, like rarely does anyone just hop on a board and figure it out. Like there's a few freaks that that happens, but like pretty much everybody just gets their ass kicked. You know, it's, it's like mm -hmm. my bunch of my friends who do Virginia Jiu-Jitsu, right? Mm -hmm. No matter how good you are when you start, you're just going to get your ass kicked. That's just what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and so I, the older I get, the more I'm attracted to those populations just because i want to be around people who have that mindset yeah and even people like uh so maynard of the band uh tool very successful runs a freaking winery restaurant there's like a purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu to me is like super interesting because he had to start again at the bottom just like everybody else right so i'm always fascinated by people who get to a very very high level in whatever sport discipline business whatever it is can they go to something else that they're just going to suck at and can they stay with the process and get better at it to me is always just fascinating. I love that. I'd like to talk a little bit more about this flex diet cert. First, yeah. first question, is this for trainers or coaches and, or just people who want to learn about, you know, being healthier? Is it for a range of people? Yeah, it's initially set up for trainers and coaches, okay. but it's done in a way that like 60% of the people who have purchased so far are trainers and coaches, 40% are just fitness enthusiasts. Okay. Um, so either one can definitely use it. And what I was trying to figure out was a system of teaching nutrition that's a little bit more on the physiology side and the psychology, the change aspect is more baked into the system. So when I did it, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to have a number of interventions. One of the biggest problems I see is like, well, where do you start, right? Do I, do I micromanage my sleep? Do I worry about micronutrition? Should I get protein? Oh, I heard protein's bad for my autophagy and, you know, all this stuff out there. So initially I said, okay, I'm just going to take these things and rate them on what is the physiologic intervention, right? To my logical brain, this makes sense. And then I realized I'm like, oh, I did this when I started working with clients 15 years ago. That was a disaster. Uh-oh. So I probably need some component of psychology in here. All right. So example I use is sleep. So sleep is super sexy now. We could have a great discussion about all the physiologic things that just go awry when you don't get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. So based on physiology, super important for body comp, performance, health, everything. The downside, if trainers and coaches are listening, just think back to the conversation you've had with your clients about sleep. I would much rather try to put my head through a wall because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to a sort of value judgment on their life. So we go through your whole day, you've got all this stuff to do. And so they're like, okay, so you're telling me the two hours I hang out and watch Netflix with my spouse, significant other at night, you're telling me not to do that and to shut up and go to bed. Kind of. Yeah. It's like, you're not probably going to win that argument, yeah. you know? So the psychology component to change on sleep is very low. So like on a one to 10 scale, I put it at like a, a one. It's like abysmal. Physiologic ability, probably a nine or a 10. So I said, okay, so I came up with something I called just coaching leverage. So it's the physiologic impact times the client's ability to change. So for sleep, if we give the physiologic impact, say a 10, 
ability to change is a one, like your net leverage score is literally a 10. Mm -hmm. If we talk about protein, right? Protein, physiologic impact, probably a nine. Client's ability to change with just even a little bit of education. You're like, wait a minute, I want to lose weight and you're telling me to eat more of this thing. Yes. Okay, that sounds good, right? So probably a nine, right? So you're at a 81 compared to a 10. So I just took that criteria and applied it to just eight different interventions. So that way, when you're a trainer or a coach, or even a fitness enthusiast, you're starting on the things you've kind of rigged the system in your favor already, right? You're not trying to major in something that, yeah, there's a lot of good reason you should sleep more, but that's a really hard habit to change. Yeah. Eating a little bit more protein, there's great books on it and how to eat all parts of the cow and everything, right? That's probably an easier place to start than with sleep. Yeah, I like this because it's a very pragmatic approach, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, it, like we said sort of at the beginning of our chat, like there are these basic kind of tenets that if any, everybody could do, we would not, we would have a different planet than we currently have, but easier said than done. Um, yeah. In the course, do I'd like, because just talking about nutrition specifically, because flex diet makes me feel like maybe there's an approach of, I don't know, personalized nutrition, flexible. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did talk about Pop-Tarts a minute ago. So what, <laughs> what's kind of the, and you don't have to give away too many secrets, but what is sort of like the general gist of um, your nutrition approach? Yeah, so it's the title is a mashup of metabolic flexibility plus flexible dieting. Because when you work with clients, you realize that, okay, I actually get super nervous of a client who comes in who's like, all right, boss, just tell me exactly what to do. I'll do everything you tell me. It's like, uh, even if that person's a hardcore competitor, unless they have a track history of doing that, even then that makes me nervous. Like, eh, you want to track your broccoli in the off season? That sounds like a horrible idea, yeah. right? So even for someone who's a very high level competitor, it just makes me nervous because I've seen those people are either on or off. And when they're off, whoo, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's yep. really off. So trying to get some moderation, how I describe it to clients is imagine it's like a, a bowling alley, right? So most standard nutritional advice is, all right, I'm just going to educate you. We need to be perfect. We got to be spot on. It'd be like going to the bowling alley and no matter who the best instructor is, you're expecting that person to bowl like strike after strike after strike. It's just, it's not going to happen. That's not very realistic. So, but can we inflate these little bumpers on the side, right? So you've been in the bowling alley where they put the little bumpers in the gutter and all I want you to do is just get the ball down to the end and just knock some pins down, all right? And my whole goal is to keep you in this lane and not five lanes, you know, down on the other side or in the other city, mm -hmm. right? Just hit some pins down, just make some progress. And so by using that kind of flexible approach, you're allowing clients to kind of weave, but within a set constrained system, mm -hmm. right? So that was when I set it up, I'm like, okay, so how do I design a system that has constraints, has people to get them to their goal, right? Because if they're just, you know, doing crazy shit all day, yeah, you're not going to get to your goal and they're going to be mad. Yeah. But allow them to kind of waver a little bit on their own because that's realistically how humans learn too. Yeah. It's like, you know, can you weave on the road and not put the car in the ditch, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you keep doing that, you'll probably get to your destination, even if you were kind of a little bit all over the lane. Mm -hmm. And then you'll learn in the, the process of how to do that so when you're done, you're like, oh, cool. Okay. Yep. I kind of fell off the wagon. I know what to do now. I need to do this. I'm going to eat more protein. Maybe I'm going to do a fast and I'm going to go to bed earlier. Right. So you'll learn what kind of the top things are 
And then within the system, I did a big picture, which gives you kind of the context. Like here's the roadmap of where we're going. Here's metabolic flexibility. Here's flexible dieting. And then with each one of the interventions, I had a, a one hour technical. So everything you want to know about protein from protein synthetic response, protein breakdown, leucine, et cetera. And then that's all condensed into one hour. And then after that, there's five action items related to protein. So if you're a trainer, we show you, okay, how to pick which one of those five actions for your client, what will be best. So it's a flexible approach, but I'm giving you five options that I've kind of used that I know will probably work. Hmm. So it's how do you give context? How do you make sure that the technical part is actually correct? And then how do you give people specific things to do all within a flexible framework so they can get to the result they want and they can weave a little bit and, and learn as they go. Yeah, this seems like a really practical approach to getting healthier, you know, like it seems like a very much like based in reality, which I think is what a lot of the, you know, ideal get your perfect body in a month or whatever is missing is the fact that it's not taking into account how human beings learn and change their behavior and uh, make a behavior sustainable, right? Um, yeah. Do, do you think though, like maybe I'm, I'm going to sound a little pessimistic here and I'm sort of in the middle of this, so maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it, but <laughs> do you think that it really is possible for the average person to, and I know you didn't say this, but intuit, like intuitive eating, right? Like getting to a point where you understand flexibility, you understand that consistency is better than perfection. Um, and being able to do this in a way that is just like balanced and not, um, not influenced by guilt and the outside world. And because again, just knowing the environment that we're all in where we can have all the information, we have all the details and we know everything we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And we still get sucked into traps of, of just giving up entirely or falling off the wagon in a crazy way or orthorexia on the other side and all of these things. Like, do you think it is a practical, realistic idea for most people to be able to eventually get to a point where they can like really do this intuitively? I would say yes. The caveat is the amount of external oversight you may need at the end is going to be different for everyone. Okay. And then I think one of the keys to that is both environment in the a short sense, and then how do we make you more adaptable to the environment you're actually going to be in, mm -hmm. right? So if you're at home, especially now, yeah, you're trying to lose weight. You probably shouldn't eat seven cookies a day. So buying a 24 pack of cookies and setting them on your counter, that's probably a bad idea. I've run this experiment multiple times. I can tell you the cookies magically disappear, mm -hmm. right? So controlling your own environment, is that a huge win? Yes. The caveat where I think people go wrong then is they're like, but that's what you got to do with the rest of your life. You just got to be more hardcore and you got to bring your food everywhere you go. And it's like, most people don't want to live that life. And I get it. If you're an extreme competitor, you're professional, that may be what you need to do for a period of time. I get it. But most people never think of like, well, how do I make your physiology more adaptable to the cookies? Mm -hmm. Because you're probably going to run into carbohydrates. If your blood glucose goes to like 160 every time you eat half a Pop-Tart, I would say you're probably not that adaptable to the environment you're going to be, quote, released back into. Mm -hmm. So can we do both at the same time? So that, you know, when you're out at friends, you have a bigger dinner, your health values, everything is fine. And you get back on track and you're doing what you need to the next day. 
The thing that's different though, is some people may always need some bit of oversight. Maybe they only need to log their protein. Maybe they have a coach. They check in with them once a week. Maybe they just do a daily body weight. What it, there's probably something they may need to do, but that should be the minimal, not the maximal. Mm-hmm. All right. So for myself, for quite a while, like getting on the scale each day is what I do at home. That's pretty good to keep me in line for most of the time. However, like I said, I'll go for periods of time of six weeks where I won't even get on a scale. Right. So now if I remove that external constraint and that feedback, that input, can I still kind of stay where I need to stay? Mm-hmm. Right. And the end goal, I would say, is the minimal amount of oversight. However, you know, that's probably going to be a little bit different for other people, but it should be the minimal, not the maximal. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Is the course, how is the course like laid out online? Is it like modules and you take like a test at the end or how does it work? Yeah. So there's eight modules overall. Each one has a big picture, a technical, and then five action items. Then we also have uh, expert interviews. So for protein, we've got like uh, your Canadian friend, Dr. Stu Phillips, mm-hmm. Jose Antonio, uh, flexible dieting, Dr. Eric Helms, uh, sleep and other things, Dr. Dan Party, cool. so a bunch of other expert interviews in it, uh, Mike Ormsby, uh, Stephen Guiné. So awesome. people, if they want to go further into like talking to Stephen about appetite regulation, like mm-hmm. in terms of the neurohormonal mechanisms, he's way better on that than I am by far. So we have those hour interviews too. And then each one is based on an intervention. So the first one is protein. The second one is fasting. And then it just goes through all eight. There's a little quiz after each one. If people want to be certified, they have to pass um, each one of the the quizzes. Total material, it's about 30 hours. So it's pretty pretty in depth. And I, I lost count of how many actual references they're in the course, but like 350 some or something like that. It's so you can really nerd out on it if you want to. Yeah. So if you want to go crazy, like I have all the references, like all the expert interviews, like you can, you know, at least have a head start of, okay, here's the references you should probably look at. And those are ones I've actually just reduced down. I mean, I'm not putting every reference known to man about protein and exercise in there because yeah. it could be hundreds and hundreds, but yeah. you know, so yeah, trying to condense it down into something useful. Cool. And would you say, cause you know, I asked if, if it's just for coaches or sort of regulars and you said, you know, it's kind of for everybody, but is there any kind of minimum level of sort of understanding or experience or whatever that you'd want to kind of have before you get into this course? Yeah, it's, I did it at a intermediate ish level. Okay. Right. So what I did is I, one of my pet peeves is people using made up terms <laughs> and so I will use some of those terms, but I'll still use the technical terms and then I'll define it and explain what it is, right? So yes, we're going to talk about muscle protein synthesis and what that actually is. No, I'm not going to spend three hours talking about different tracer methods you're using to actually measure it and the different things of that. Um, but I view it as trying to bring people up to a certain level instead of talking down to them. And the beautiful part is that it's because it's online. I've had a few people who are, you know, relatively new to the fitness industry, they're like, yeah, I kind of had to watch that one module like three times. I'm like, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can go through them as many times as you want. You're at home. No one's going to know how many times you watch the modules. It, newsflash, yeah. I don't track people and go, ooh, Bob watched that one four times. Yeah. You know, it's like no, no one really cares. 
Um, so it's a intermediate level. Like if you probably know what macronutrients are and, mm-hmm. and have some basics, but my argument is that the less information you have, I think it's actually easier long-term. Will it be a little bit more difficult for you to get through everything? Yes. But you just have that much less to unlearn. Yeah. Like I spend more time answering questions because people can email me directly who are in the course getting them to try to drop things that are probably not true than I do trying to explain things they didn't understand. Yeah. And so if you're newer, by definition, you have less to unlearn. So yeah, it's probably gonna be a little bit more work up front, but I think it's actually faster. Okay. What's your uh, least favorite made up health and fitness term that you see people using? Oh God. <laughs> I think right now, just because it's more top of mind, because I just did for the physiologic flexibility thing on cold water. So like cold thermogenesis, the term just irks the shit out of me right now. And that's just my own being triggered by it. Because is it kind of a real thing? Yes. But if I put cold thermogenesis into PubMed, you know how many results I get? Zero. Mm. Right. So it's like, okay, let's, maybe we should use words that are actually mean something instead of a made up term. And it's not, yeah. (laughs) And it's hard because is there some truth to the definition? Kind of. Does it matter a whole lot? Eh. The amount of cold you need to expose to, to see body comp changes is an amount no one's probably going to do. Right. Sitting in a room for two to three hours at like 50 degrees Fahrenheit and just a t-shirt and shorts, right? Or putting someone in cold water immersion for 55 degrees Fahrenheit for an hour, you know, and that was because they were shivering. So we don't even know if that's from the temperature or the fact that they're shivering, which is muscle work. Right. So yeah, that's what's bugging me right now. <laughs> okay, good. I like it. I like I like people's pet peeves. Um, and that actually, this is good. This brings us to um, the last kind of thing we'll chat about here, which is your physiologic flexibility course, because I'm interested in it. And talking about this cold stuff specifically, um, it's a good segue because that's sort of one of the areas. I've done some like sitting in ice baths and, and things yeah. like that, but I like live this all the time. Like I live in one of the yeah, coldest, I live in one of the, co- <laughs> in one of the coldest parts of Canada. So like my yeah. winter is just my entire life. That's probably what keeps me from gaining weight in the winter is, is that I'm constantly cold and shivering. So I try to look on the bright side, but again, for me, it's like picking and choosing the hacks that I want to do. They're going to add to my life that are going to move the needle and not just do a thing because somebody on the internet told me to sit in a cold bath. And for me yeah. personally, for six months of the year, I'm taking a hot shower. I don't care. Like, I don't care if I'm going to live an hour long or like a year longer because I take cold showers for five minutes at the end. No, thank you. It's minus 15 here. Like it's not worth it. It's not worth it for me. So anyway, that's one that I've kind of knocked off my list, but, um, talk to us a little bit about this course. And and is this something that people would take maybe after they've taken the flex diet one, or people can just go straight into this one if they're interested in all this kind of weird fringe stuff. Yeah, so I set it up where you can take the flex diet cert first, but it's not a requirement. So they're independent of each other. They're just looking at different leverage points, right? So if you're eating like an asshole, yeah, probably learning about nutrition is going to help. Like all the biohacks in the world are not going to save you. However, if you're pretty good with exercise and pretty good with nutrition, I think there is some very interesting adaptations that happen. So when I looked at physiologic flexibility, I'm like, okay, so we have 
metabolic flexibility, how well do you use fats? How well do you use carbohydrates? What if we take that concept and we scale it up to you as an organism, right? So the next question I had is, well, how do I know what systems to even bother targeting, right? There's bazillions of systems in the body and everybody claims that this system is the main one you need to look at. I'm like, okay, well, what about systems where your body has to maintain them within a fine scale area or you die, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. I think your body is just really wired for survival. And those things turn out to be homeostatic regulators, right? So the big one people are familiar with is temperature. Your body has to maintain about 98.6. It's actually not the quite no right number, but it's close enough. And if we deviate anything, core body temp a little bit too high or a little bit too low, then really, really bad stuff happens. However, because we're adaptable, we can put someone like you in Canada and they can still survive. We could put you in a sauna. You'll Barely. still be okay. Mm -hmm. We can sweat. We have these other adaptive mechanisms that actually allow us to go into pretty extreme environments, especially if you add technology into that. Um, so another one is pH, right? Very, very fine scale that your body can move off of pH. However, we can ingest things that are kind of acidic. We could put you on the rower, have you do repeated wind gates. That'll create a lot of lactate plus hydrogen ions. Hydrogen ions are actually a, literally an acid that gets dumped into the muscle and your body has ways of buffering that. Now, the last two are probably blood glucose, right? So back to the Pop-Tarts, you can go for maybe 24 hours with not even eating any food and still be okay. You could have two Pop-Tarts and hopefully keep your blood glucose within a normal range. And the last one is uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide, right? So those two are very highly matched. We have to get oxygen. We have to offload carbon dioxide. So once I figured out, those are probably the main four. I mean, you can get into a whole bunch of subcategories of each one of those. So if we train them in an intelligent manner, my hypothesis is that'll just make you a much better, more resilient organism. Unfortunately, the experiment we're running now is that those things are just completely disappearing from our life, Yeah. right? Very few people get exposed to cold. Very few people get exposed to hot. Very few people do high intensity exercise. Most people don't do a lot of breath work, right? Light exposure, go down the list, right? So we know that we're running the experiment of removing these things from people's lives. I would say they're probably not getting better. So I think adding a small amount back in will have beneficial effects. And the cool part is if you're not adapted to it, you don't need that much, mm. right? So if you're not adapted to ever really getting cold, I would argue that 30 to 60 seconds of cold water immersion will probably provide you some benefit. If nothing else on the psychological side to see if you can handle a stressor and not lose your shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is fascinating when I looked at that, I think it's like 20% of people die within a few minutes of uh, cold water exposure from drowning. I'm like, well, wait a minute, there, no matter how cold water you get dumped into, you're not getting, you know, frank hypothermia within a couple minutes, mm -hmm. but the water would hit their face and they would panic and they would go face down and they would literally inhale water into their lungs and drown because they couldn't control their state. It was probably a new thing. They never had any exposure to it, that type of stuff. Um, so to me, it was very interesting looking at all the different research in that area. And the last thing, what I found was that most of the stuff that's promoted online as the benefits were probably not really a benefit, mm. right? So sauna, right? People say, oh, we get massive spikes in growth hormone from being in the sauna. 
That's actually true, right? You can get a 1700% increase in growth hormone. Does that mean anything in terms of physiologically moving the dial? Probably not, right? <laughs> so why not? The, um, acute changes in hormones due to big stimuluses like that just don't seem to add up. Okay. Um, so you can look at some studies from uh, Dr. David West, who was in Stu Phillips lab out of McMaster. So they did this super cool study, God, five or six years ago now, where they're like, hey, we look at Kramer's lab and we see all this stuff where if you squat, we see increases in testosterone, growth hormone, all these anabolic hormones. So the assumption was, well, that's part of the response of why you get better from exercise. So what they did is they said, okay, all you young people come into our lab. So we're going to have you do squats and then you're going to exercise only your right bicep. And we're going to measure and see, yep, we see testosterone go up. We see growth hormone go up. And then that right arm gets exercised under this high hormone condition. Take a day off, come back to the lab again. Now you're going to exercise your left bicep first, and then you're going to squat. So the left bicep is being exercised under a low hormone condition, but it's matched perfectly per individual, per load, per everything else. What they found was at the end of the study, no difference in size between your right bicep and your left bicep. Hmm. So do those hormones happen? Yes. Do maybe they relate to other things? Maybe, but they're just so short lived that they just don't really seem to add up to it. Again, that's even still debatable. You get into, you know, Kramer argues that it's, you know, androgen receptor content and it's bound to the receptor and you can't test it. Either way, in the study that they've replicated a couple times now, we didn't see a massive um, difference with it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, once again, I think that this, this course is interesting and cool from a pragmatic perspective, like making people more resilient rather than telling people if you sit in an ice bath, you're going to live to 200 years longer or whatever, yeah. you know, like, cause I, I, you're right. I mean, we go out of our way to be as comfortable as possible all the time. That's a very basic kind of human behavior that you, we can't really blame people for because it is so yeah. ingrained in us to try to avoid totally. conflict and drama and pain and all of those things. But I think that just sort of understanding the importance of it and, and looking at it like it's a fun experiment, a journey, a thing that you can learn about yourself while you're doing, I think is kind of cool. Um, does this course have built in like all of these different components, like um, things for you to try? So it's like, all right, we're on the breathwork part now. Let's, you know, try X, Y, Z and see what that does to you personally. Yeah. So okay. what I set it up was a similar framework. So there's a big picture that kind of evolves of what is physiologic flexibility? What are, you know, hormetic regulators? How do you make the body more robust to handle different environments? And then there's a, there's the four areas and each of those four areas have two parts, right? So temperature, you're going to have hot versus cold pH. You're going to have high versus low. And then each one of those has five specific action items, right? So for cold, here's a progression then of where you probably should start, right? Maybe taking a cold shower, and then get maybe into, you know, cold water immersion. If you want to do that, here's where to start. And then maybe get contrast therapy, that kind of stuff. Because mm -hmm. I see people want to start with the thing that is the most sexy, but it's super hard to troubleshoot that, mm -hmm. right? So if you do five rounds of contrast therapy between a sauna and cold water immersion, the amount of variables in there are just crazy. 
So if you tanks you for two days, because these are all stressors too, right? You can definitely overdo them and you can see HRV changes. You can see performance change acutely actually go negative. Mm -hmm. um, so each one of those has that. And then the other part I realized as doing the course, I think there's something that nobody talks about, which is called a cross adaptation effect. And it's been very little studied. So for example, they did uh, cold water immersion and then they tested people in their response to hypoxia, right? So low oxygen levels. What they found was that if you had one exposure to cold water immersion, you were much able to handle hypoxia much better than those who did not. So something that has nothing on the surface level to look like a low oxygen condition, we're putting you in cold water, appears to have this cross adaptation effect to other systems in the body that makes you more resilient at other stressors. Mm -hmm. So my hypothesis is that if we're targeting these four homeostatic regulators, you're probably seeing a lot of other benefits that we just don't really understand yet. Mm -hmm. And your thing too about at the root level of the entire course, my whole goal, which is kind of sneaky, uh, I'll tell people what it is now. <laughs> I, I want to train their prefrontal cortex to override their limbic system. So in English, it means the newer thinky part of our brain. Can we as humans use that to override our lizard brain? right? Because your lizard brain says, hey, should I get in cold water? No, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of in my life. This is a horrible idea. You should never do this. Ooh, but there's some of these other benefits. Maybe I'll get it. Can I have enough rationale, whatever I need to overcome that little voice in my head to do the harder things in a controlled fashion? Because you're, you're wired for efficiency. Right. So the fact that you could run to a gas station and eat three pop tarts for like a dollar 27, that's actually wired. That's efficiency. I got a lot of calories. I didn't have to expend a lot of effort and it was cheap. Great. I'm going to do this all day. Unfortunately, I think the only way out of some of the mess we have now is to use that new part of the brain to consciously go, okay, maybe doing that every day isn't a good idea. Right. Yes. Can I build up the, the skill set? of can I get in cold water for 30 seconds every day or turn my shower to cold, use that new part of my brain to say, nope, this is what I'm doing. I'm overriding this other part. I know I'm going to be safe. I'm not going to injure myself. And I think that's going to translate to over time subconsciously, or at least as best we can, taking the stairs, doing other things that we know are beneficial but acutely we're wired to not want to do those things. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that sneaky goal because you see it reflected in other, like Stefan Guillenay, who you mentioned, yes. Hungry Brain, fantastic book. Oh yeah, wonderful where, book. Yeah, he talks about how your brain works and why that's fantastic and why it's kept us alive all of these uh, millennia, but how we can work against it to improve our lives now in this weird modern world that we're in. And, you know, you read like Cal Newport's books about digital minimalism and yeah. it's the same thing. It's like, yep. you're, you're not, you're not crazy because of how you react to social media. Social media is, is designed to make you act that way. Here's how you can override it. Um, and, you know, having zero scientific evidence for this, but echoing what you're saying, 
of course it makes sense, even if we can't explain it, or if I personally can't explain it from a physiological perspective, it makes sense that the more resilient you are in one area is gonna translate into other areas of your yeah. life because you can look at that even emotionally or experientially yep. or you know with metabolic flexibility and the way you eat that the more you know if you're a healthier person and you have metabolic flexibility that can have benefits on your immune system your immunity and like all of these things are connected so being able to you know yeah use the prefrontal cortex and be able to kind of think your way through things and 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 yeah do things differently i think and that gets easier the more you do it it has a cascade effect to the rest of your life so i think that makes a ton of sense. Um, and now I kind of want to take these courses. So maybe that's going to be like a 2021 goal for me. I did, yeah. I did the precision nutrition course, um, awesome. last year. Um, cool. not, I love their course. it's fantastic. Um, yeah. such a cool, like just such a really well-rounded, um, course. So I really enjoyed that, but I think that's, um, you know, going back to that always learning sort of perspective, that's what I want to do is constantly be, teaching myself and learning from smart people. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe I'll get flex diet certified this year. We'll see. Yeah. And when I, I, like it. I designed it, cause people are like, Oh, well, should I take this or take precision nutrition? I'm like, just one, take both. Yeah. Right. If you really want to understand habit change and smaller changes and that kind of stuff, yeah, I would say precision nutrition is probably a better choice. I don't make any money from it. I actually was one of the peer reviewers for the last version that they have. Oh, cool. If you want something that's a little bit more on the, the physiology side, but has the psychology more baked in into a system mm -hmm. that's a little bit more straightforward and you like a little bit more structure, then I'd say the Flex Diet Search is probably a little bit better fit for you. But, mm -hmm. you know, they're both, you know, obviously I'm biased, but, you know, I don't, everyone's like, well, I should do this or that. It's hey, just do both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I am at this point in my life, a bit more interested in the physiology part of it because I don't know, maybe it's having two psychologist parents or something, but I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to know any more about how the brain works. I just want to know how the body works. I'm more interested yeah. in that. So anyway. Um, all right. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your time. It's awesome to chat with you as always. Yeah, thank um, you. This has been great. Do you have any uh, more kiteboarding or fun trips on the horizon that I can feel jealous about? Uh, a little bit. We'll be going to Costa Rica nice. at the end of January with uh, some friends of ours who run the Special Forces Experience in Canada. So we're huh. doing kind of a sort of a working meeting there for a little while and we're going to stay for a few extra days. And the place we're going to, it looks like actually has kiteboarding there, which there's only really like one kind of area in Costa Rica that has kiteboarding. So I'm going to bring my gear and uh, hopefully get some rides when we're down there. Cool. But that's the only other, it's like really the only other thing we have coming up. We'll probably go down to South Padre again, Texas in April. And yeah, I haven't really tried scheduling anything for 2021, to be honest. I'm just yeah. kind of, uh, whatever happens will happen, I guess, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> at this yeah. point. <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, I have dual citizenship so I can travel, but the way Canada works right now is that you have to quarantine for two weeks coming back from anywhere. And I've already yeah. done it a couple times in the last few months. And one miserable uh, exercise in resilience is quarantining in your house for two weeks. So I'm trying to, to minimize that. The trip has yeah. to be really worth it for me to do it. So we'll see, but um, yeah. Um, but maybe next time we chat, um, next time I have you on, you can tell me, uh, you can try some organ meat recipes and tell me what you think. Yeah, I definitely want to do that because I have some liver in the in the freezer that we bought from a grass-fed cow a couple of years ago. And this time when we got our other cow, I was like, God, I don't know what to do with it. I didn't have your book yet. So I'm like, uh, just 
put it in the hamburger and then we'll figure it out next time. So. Yeah, I mean yes. that's that's not the worst option, really. Yeah. Hiding, hiding it in hamburger isn't the worst idea. But. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, that's a wrap, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dr. Mike T. Nelson for taking the time today. Thank you to our show sponsor. Bubs Naturals. They are the best. I use their collagen and MCT every single day. Um, They give great discounts. They gave me a 20% discount to pass along to you, which is higher than most companies. If you use the code MM20, you can get uh, 20% off whatever you buy there. They also give 10% of their earnings to charity, which is another unheard of high number um, because they actually started their company based around... uh, philanthropy. And then they just decided, okay, our products are great and let's make some money too. So that's the kind of company I can get behind. Love the guys at Bubs. Go check them out. Uh, Buy some collagen and MCT. Treat yourself. Also just wanted to throw something in here. If you are still listening to the, you know, 5% of people who actually listen to the end of a podcast, um, because this episode was all about behavior change in order to improve your health and your life, That kind of segues into another project that I have ongoing that I'm hoping to launch at the end of this month, the end of February, beginning of March, um, which is going to be an online um, coaching platform that is really based on behavior change. Um, Because one of the things that I've found in my work doing one-on-one coaching is that 99% of the time, the people who come to me are not complete beginners. They're people who know the answers. And to be honest, all of us kind of know the answers. Um, We know what we generally shouldn't be eating, what we generally should be eating. We know that we should generally be moving and sleeping better, all of these things, right? It's It's the enacting the behavior. That's the sticking point. And often we just need accountability. We need a resource. We need someone to just be there, be on our side, reminding us, um, holding us accountable. Um, And that's so much of what coaching is. Now, look, if we're talking about like high level, like you're a big time athlete and you're training for a competition or whatever, that's different. I'm talking about the vast majority of people who just need a little bit of help and resources and accountability to do the things they already know they need and want to do, but just to get it there so that it's a lifestyle and it's sustainable. Um, And so that's what I've been working on um, to help. So it would be an online coaching platform that you're going to have access to me. You can ask specific questions. I'm going to have a ton of resources, but really the way it's created online um, is to support behavior change rather than, for example, you got to talk to me once a week. I'm looking at what you're eating, like the kind of typical um, coaching thing, which I'm a little bit over at this point. Um, so anyway, there's going to be more information coming out about that. If it's something that's interesting to you, feel free to send me an email. I can add you to the list of sort of VIPs who are going to know about it as soon as it comes out and I can send you more information as it becomes available. But I just wanted to put that bug in your ear because I do think that that, um, is something that's, you know, like I was talking about with Mike earlier in the, in the show, it's something that's kind of missing from the, um, coaching equation. So That's it. Thank you for listening to the very end. I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you here next week.